Hello, one and all, and welcome to this Friday episode of the Logan Live Show. The first Friday episode that we have had since October started. October 1st, 2021 was the last Friday show. And we have not recorded in a full week in the month of October, which is kind of, kind of depressing. Because we recorded on the 1st, and then the next Monday we had a show, and then that Wednesday we had a show, didn't have one on Friday. And this week, we didn't have one on Monday, we had one Wednesday, and today we have one on Friday. We need to be more consistent. But again, that goes down to sickness and being at a Chiefs game, or Chiefs game, game, a Bills game, and watching the United States play against Jamaica that Thursday night, and also going to the new Hy-Vee out in Grimes, which I've been to twice now, and it does not feel like a grocery store. You can buy exercise equipment, you can buy clothes, you can buy any color of Crocs you want within reason, but you can buy everything there. doesn't really matter. It feels like a food court with a grocery store. Uh, it just feels very weird. But speaking of the United States, watch the United States on, what was it? Wednesday night. Yes, Wednesday night. The United States took on Costa Rica and got a very important dub in World Cup qualifying. Now they're sitting on 11 points, three points behind Mexico, who they play in a month in Cincinnati. A team they have beaten two times already this year in two very meaningful games. Gold Cup final and the the CONCACAF Nations League final. And then now, this is a chance. Now, if if I remember right, Goal difference is keeping the United States out of first if they were to win. I think they need to win by a specific number. Well, obviously, that's how goal differential works. But to just a chance to be joint top with Mexico is huge, especially for a team that didn't even make the World Cup last time around. And I saw some things over, when was this? A few weeks ago, actually. It was about the United States and how this team's a failure because they aren't qualifying for the World Cup. Because this is their biggest group of players. Now, I understand that on a certain aspect. Because of the fact this is the most talented group of players the United States has. But on Wednesday, the United States wheeled out their youngest ever World Cup qualifying team with some of their best players. Like, this team is so young. And I think people are just in, have rose-colored or rose-tinted glasses on here. And go, this team's so talented, they should be good right now, when most of these players are 21 and younger, or the best players are 21, 22 and younger, which is crazy to think about. The United States peak, or I guess peak, their prime, I guess would be a better word, is at the 2026 World Cup. That's going to be hosted in the United States. That's their peak, and what a great time to have your peak at that point. This team is just so young. You look at the midfield the United States wheeled out against Costa Rica. I love it by every sense of the word love because it's so, it's just fun. It's a fun midfield. You got Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, and Jonas Musa all in the same team. And here's their ages. Tyler Adams is 22, Weston McKinney is 23, and Jonas Musa is 18. And they're all starting in a World Cup qualifier. The rest of their starting lineup, Zach Steffen is 26, Sergino Dest is 20, Anthony Robinson is 24. Miles Robinson is 24. Chris Richards is 21. Tim Way is 21. Brendan Aronson is 20. And then Ricardo Pepe, who right now is the best striker the United States has. And he's only played three or four games for the United States. Scored three goals. He is the best 
number nine the United States has, or as I should say, the number one number nine for the United States. He offers so much for the United States, and he's 18 years old. And he's already the number one striker for the United States. In my opinion, I have been on the also the opinion that Jayassi Zardes, before Ricardo Pepe, was the number one guy, and I think will get a spot on the plane of guitar, regardless of if he's the starter or not. The battle for that third spot is pretty hotly contested because though Matthew Hoppy's played majority, the majority of his time in the United States on the wing, he's a natural number nine. Tim Weah can play as a number nine. Jordan Pifok or Jordan Siabachu, whatever you want to call him, is also up there. Daryl DK is also up there. The United States, and I did, did I mention Josh Sargent? I don't know if I did. Whose move to Norwich, I don't like. And I've been pretty vocal about that with my friends. It was a weird-ass move. Norwich is a terrible team. We might be looking at one of the worst Premier League teams of all time. This team stinks. And I don't know what it is. They are very fine with being a yo-yo club. And for those of you who don't know what that means, it means coming up to the Premier League, going back down the very next season, going up, going down. And they won the championship. And before the season started, everybody's like, yeah, this team's going straight back down. They're going coming last. And Josh Sargent made the move from Werder Bremen in Germany, started off with two goals and two appearances, and then made a move to Norwich, whose pretty much only good player <laughs> is their striker. Where is he going to play? There's no creativity in this team. I guess Todd Cantwell? But like, Emmy Buendia just made the move to Aston Villa. Who's going to be providing the goal or the assist for these guys? Defense is slow as dirt. Max Aarons is pretty exciting at right back, but they're old. Most of the majority of their defense. Like, what was the, the inspiration behind this move? Other than the fact you're going to the Premier League, which is the biggest league on planet Earth. That's about it. I would have stuck it out if I... Now, I'm not Josh Sargent. I'm not as good as him. But I'm just trying to think, if I'm already starting in good form here, might as well just stick it out here because I'm going to get more opportunities in Germany than I will with Norwich City. I don't know what the logic was behind it, but that's it's not me for that's not for me to decide. But he's going to be still in the conversation because he works very hard. He doesn't score a lot of goals, but he's got a very high motor, which is what's very desirable in this system that Greg Berhalter runs, which is particularly or usually a 4-3-3 system. But this team is just so young. And they won last night. 2-1, which is not very surprising. It was kind of surprising the fact that Costa Rica went up 2-1. And then they pulled Kaylor Navas at halftime, which I was even surprised he was on the team because I don't remember the last time I've even seen him play for Costa Rica. And then they pull him at halftime, and then they get an own goal 20 minutes later. You can credit in an own goal. You can credit a goal for Tim Weah. Either way, it was scored as an own goal. Serginio Des scored an absolute worldy left-footed shot up cor top corner, no goalkeeper on planet Earth is saving that shot, which is what is the fun thing about Serginho Dest. He can be frustrating at times, but he is uber-talented and, again, is only 20 years old. He's only 20. Like, this team's going to get better and better and better and better. The more they play with each other, they will continue to get better. And, yeah, they had a shit show down in Panama, but it was a bad lineup. Greg Berhalter had an idea. It didn't work. Okay, it was a weird team, but hey, they said this on the broadcast that maybe he was just trying to rest his best players for a crucial game at home in a place where they've had a lot of success historically in Columbus, Ohio. Different stadium, it's not Matt Fire Stadium, but 
historically has had a lot of success in the city of Columbus. And though we talked about this on, when was it? Monday, Wednesday. Like, we talked about Zach Steffen going home, Anthony Robinson going home, Wes McKinney going home. I guess that didn't matter because they all started in the game against Costa Rica. I must have read something wrong. I thought they were going back to England and Italy and all those places to get ready for their club team. But nope, they were on the team and Zach Steffen started. And I still am under the influence or under the suspicion, even though the United States didn't play well against Panama, Matt Turner started that game. If Matt Turner's not number one, it's pretty freaking close. It's like 50-50, maybe 51-49. I don't know. I don't know how I... It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, and it's going to be very tough for Zach Steffen because of the fact he's not playing, which has been fine when you're the unchallenged number one for the United States, and it's fine that you're not starting because one of the top three goalies in the world and Ederson is starting above you. But when you're number one competitor on the United States, and it was also fine when Ethan Horvath's not starting for Club Bruges and isn't really starting, to my knowledge, for Nottingham Forest. But Matt Turner starts every day, every game for New England Revolution. I don't care if it's in the MLS, he starts. And for the United States, he has rarely put a foot wrong. So I don't know what the goalkeeper situation is for the United States. It's a good problem to have. You have two very, very good goalkeepers. Zach Steffen is very good and rarely put a foot wrong for the United States. Matt Turner, whose big concern going into the starting lineup was his ball distribution. And as he's been the number one, it has improved within each and every game. And we obviously know he can save, <laughs> he can stop a ball. Right? That's he's been <laughs> shown he's very good at. But this team will get better. This team will get a lot better. Still a lot of room to go. Like, if you look at this team, DeAndre Yedlin's the most capped player that was in this team. 69 caps. A lot of those caps came when he was late teens, early 20s, but 69 caps. No one else really comes close to that. The next closest is Paul Areola, who has, I guess it's kind of surprising, but then again, not really, the most minutes under Greg Berhalter. The most, <laughs> which is kind of surprising. I don't know if that's, that was from before the game Wednesday, so I don't know if that's still the same thing. He didn't play. He was starting and then got to get withdrawn from the lineup due to some injury that I did not see. But, man, this team's going to get fun. This team's a very fun team. You look at their team that they brought in this game, I guess. If you just look at the squad that was at Columbus, one player was 30 or older, and that was Giacis Artis. If you look at the whole 23-man squad, then sure. Sean Johnson's 32, but he wasn't on the team or and on the bench. I guess he was on the bench, but he wasn't in any uniform when the United States took on Costa Rica. It's a young team. It will get better. And the captaincy with whole Weston McKinney's whole situation, the captaincy, and with Stefan maybe losing a starting job, the captaincy is between two players now. It's between Tyler Adams and Christian Pulisic. The last few games, these are the only guys that have been captains. I think Walker Zimmerman was the captain when the United States went down to Panama. He's played really well for the United States as of late. When he was in, put in late into the squad with John Brooks going out with another injury, which is not very surprising at this point. Which between those two? I think the, the fan favorite is Christian Pulisic. I don't know. Time will tell. Usually in international soccer, international football, whatever you want to call it, the best player is the captain. Doesn't matter what if their leadership qualities or not. It's always the best player. Or more often than not, the best player. Like Robert Lewandowski, best player for Poland, is the captain. 
Who's the captain for <laughs> Italy? Giolini, captain, best player. Harry Kane, best cap, best player, best captain. Or bet, yeah. Then Neymar reps the captain's armband quite a bit. Messi, Ronaldo, Sergio Ramos for Spain is their best player. Doesn't always matter leadership qualities. See, you look at all those guys at club level. Robert Lewandowski isn't captain at club level. Neymar's not captain at club level. Ronaldo's not captain at club level. Harry Kane's not captain at club level. They're not the be- they're not the best captains for a club level, but they're the best player, so they become captains. Now, I think Harry Kane, if it weren't for Hugo Lloris, he would be captain right now for Tottenham. But the fact is, he's not. <laughs> Hugo Lloris has been the captain at Tottenham for quite a few years now. But the best player does not mean you'll be captain at club level. You'll be like third or fourth captain. Like, Harry Maguire, is he the best player at Manchester United? No. You'd probably say Ronaldo, Bruno Fernandes, Paul Pogba when he's on it, Marcus Rashford, Jaden Sancho when he starts getting into form, Luke Shaw. These are some of their best players. Harry Maguire's definitely up there, but is he the best? No. Is he the best leader? Probably. Neymar, not a great leader, but best player, so he gets the captain's arm man for Brazil. Now, Brazil is a rotating captain thing, so that's a little different, kind of like what the United States has. Messi's not captain for PSG. He was for Barcelona, but not for PSG. I know it's different because he just made a move. But yeah, just be you, the best player is usually the captain for the national team. Usually. I know there's odd cases, but usually the best player is the captain. And that's where Christian Pulisic has a say in the captain. I think leadership-wise, you'd probably lean towards Tyler Adams. Probably. But, but uh, I mean, you uh, you want your captain to make big plays, or be the guy that steps up. And that's what Pulisic did against Mexico in the Nations League final. Step up and take that penalty and smash it top corner. That's what you want from your captain. Biggest moment, he was not afraid of the spotlight. He walked up there and smashed it home. Would Tyler Adams take the penalty? No, I don't think Tyler Adams ever taken a penalty, to be honest. I'm not sure of that fact. But, to my knowledge, he's never taken a penalty. Pulisic would have taken that penalty. That's what you kind of want to see. Tyler Adams doesn't always look like the most vocal character. He's more of a lead by example, from what I can tell. But yeah, interesting conversations going around with the United States right now. Do I think this team's a failure right now? No. They're still very, very young. Should they make the World Cup? Definitely. They should definitely make the World Cup. But I'm not going to write this team off yet. They're still second in World Cup qualifying. They're three points behind in Mexico, a team they've beaten twice in 2021. They just lost their first game in, like, I don't know, it feels like 100 matches against Panama, a team they have struggled against in the past. Yes, they should always beat Panama, but they have struggled. Going to these South American countries or Latin American countries is hard, especially with a very young, inexperienced team. Sometimes it can work out because the inexperienced players don't know what the pressure feels like. They've never felt that pressure, so they play free, which is kind of what I'm thinking Burhalter was going with, but still, it was a weird team to select for that game, but that's that's beside the point. The United States got a very crucial win against, uh, I almost said Columbus Crew, <laughs> Costa Rica, even though at times the performance was shaky at best. But they managed to pull it out. The team. This is what I'll say about Greg Berhalter in the United States. He has his critics, Berhalter does, tactically, uh, picking teams-wise, but one thing that this team has always done, they will fight, which is something I can't really say about teams in the past for the United States. This team always fights. They never give up, which is, again, completely different to the Bruce Arena, the second stint of Bruce Arena. You watch that game down in Trinidad and Tobago, that team didn't fight. 
They folded over. And the only person that seemed to care after that loss was Christian Pulisic. Like, this team cares, and they fight, and they're close. They're friends, which is very great to see. You always want that. Because that's why the Dutch feel like they're in and out of every major tournament. Like, oh, they just went to the World Cup semifinals. Oh, they missed, or they, yeah, they just missed the next year. <laughs> or they went to the very far in the Euros. Oh, they missed the World Cup. It seems like there's always that with the Dutch National League because they have a lot of infighting, or at least they used to. Likes of Robin Van Persie, Ian Robin, Wesley Schneider. A lot of big egos on that team, and it resulted in infighting, which is why in Euro 2012 they lost every single game, and I don't think they scored a single goal in that tournament. Could be wrong, but I don't think they did, from what I remember watching. It was a tough group. I mean, it was like Germany, Portugal, and Denmark, I believe, was the group. But to come out with that with zero points is not, not great, especially when you're coming off a World Cup final appearance where you lost... I mean, it wasn't last second, but it pretty much felt like a last-second goal by Andres Iniesta. So that's, you have that, you have problems. And the United States right now looks like they're friends. And it's always, I mean, you, it makes sense to say they're friends, but hey, you never know. You never know. The Weston McKinney thing feels like it's behind him now. And he still looks like he's in a little bit of his own head. Looks like he's lost a little bit of confidence, but that will regain in time. Weston McKinney is too damn talented to not regain that. I love. I really like Weston McKinney and how he plays. We're just going to need to see that improvement in maturity, I guess. I mean, he's 23, but you can't be doing that <laughs> for international camp. I can kind of understand it when we're talking about over in Italy, when you're playing for Juventus, but for international duty, when it's a week of your time, hold off. It's fine. <laughs> just hold off. But yeah, that's all I've got for you for the United States. Now let's move on to another form of football, college football. Yes, college football is on this weekend, and we've got some bets to make. We have not talked about bets on the show in about a month, it feels like. And we're going to talk about them on here. But we got some massive games. Massive, massive game. Here's some top 25 matchups we got going for you this weekend. On Friday, we got California taking on Oregon or Cal versus Oregon. Oregon's a 13.5-point favorite. We have San Diego State taking on San Jose State. And then on Saturday, the 11 o'clock hour, we got UCF at Cincinnati, Michigan State at Indiana, Oklahoma State, Texas should be fun, Auburn, Arkansas should be fun, LSU, Florida should be fun, A&M and Missouri should be very fun. And then we've got Kentucky, Georgia, 11 versus 1. That's going to be an awesome game. BYU at Baylor is going to be a lot of fun. Alabama coming off a loss against Mississippi State is going to be fun. TCU at Oklahoma. Ole Miss, Tennessee. Offense extravaganza in that game. NC State, Boston College. Arizona State and Utah. Oh my goodness, it's going to be exciting. Then we got Iowa taking on Purdue. And I want this to end now. <laughs> I'm getting tired of seeing this all over my social media page. Please, it is not that big of a deal. The injury thing. I don't care. I really don't care. Do I understand where people are coming from? You don't boo players. Yes. Don't boo players that are injured regardless of they're faking or not. Do you have to understand that there were odd injuries taking place? Yes. Fake injuries happen all the time in sports. People boo injured players all the time in sports. Both of these things happen. Neither one of them are right, but it happens. I don't need to sit here a week after the Iowa-Penn State game and hear all the complaints about Iowa booing Penn State's players. Is it wrong? Yes, it is way wrong. But, but, there's always a but 
Injuries were coming at weird times. I'm not saying they were 100% faking them, but it happens. And they happen at very weird times as well. Very weird times. But I'm tired of seeing it. And I'm also tired of seeing that Iowa would have totally lost the game if Sean Clifford was still in at quarterback. Sean Clifford! This is the quarterback we're talking about here. I understand the 19-year-old kid going in playing at Kinnick, but you also have to understand a 19-year-old kid going up against Texas in Dallas came back and beat Texas after having a 25-point fourth quarter. I don't care if you want to say it's 50-50. It's right in the middle of where Oklahoma is and where Texas is, the university for both of them, but it's still Texas. If you walked around the city of Te- Dallas, you wouldn't be going, oh, there's a majority Oklahoma fans here. There are a lot of Oklahoma fans there. It's still a hostile environment. 19 years old, still went in and won the game, came back and won it. So I don't need to hear that, oh, Sean Clifford got hurt, changed the game. Iowa makes defensive geez, adjustments all the time. Phil Parker is one of the, if not the, best defensive coordinator in the country. Don't t- sit here and say Sean Clifford <laughs> had the impact on that game. I don't even know what he hurt. I haven't seen anything about what he hurt. All I know is that we saw him go to the locker room, and then the next time we saw him, he was on the sideline with no shoulder pads on. I don't know what he hurt. <laughs> I never, I honestly have not heard anything about what he hurt. I have seen comments of people speculating what they hurt or what he hurt. I don't know what happened. And that's not me trying to say he faked an injury, because I don't think he did. But I just don't know what it is, because <laughs> I already saw people saying it was a leg injury, but I remember when he last played, he got hit in the chest, so I don't know, I, I don't know what happened. I really don't know <laughs> what happened there. But man, the whole Sean Clifford got hurt thing is dying on me, I'm getting sick and tired of it, because we've seen no, multiple times backup quarterbacks come in in hostile environments and take big moments. Like we so asterisk Alabama winning the national championship because Garrett Gilbert played the game instead of Heisman finalist Colt McCoy. Why are we not asterisking that game? Huh? Huh? I don't know. <laughs> if you and I pulled Will against Iowa State in a hostile environment in Ames, Iowa, sold out Jack Tri Stadium, you and I would have won. But we wouldn't be saying, if Iowa State won and Will got hurt, I'll put an asterisk over it. No, because he threw two interceptions. You and I should have beat Iowa State week one. Theo Day, if he was in, would have beat Iowa State. Because I said this when Theo Day went in against Sacramento State, and the same people I was talking about that said this is an asterisk game are the same people that said, if you put a backup quarterback in, that can sometimes change the outcome of a game for the better. Kinnick Stadium is not an easy place to play. They had eight false start penalties. Is that on Sean Clifford being out? No. It's because of the noise in the stadium. It's because Phil Parker changing things up. Every single quarterback apart from Colorado freaking state has gotten benched against Iowa. Every single one. Apart from Colorado State. Now, Penn State's was different because Sean Clifford got hurt. But I don't want to hear Penn State got screwed (laughs) or they should asterisk the game because... What, maybe top five quarterback in the Big Ten, Sean Clifford, got hurt. Sean Clifford and Penn State sucked ass last year. Sean Clifford got benched multiple times last year. Do not hit me with Sean Clifford lost, him getting hurt, lost the game. I'm also, the thing I'm getting most tired about is the injury thing. I don't care. I didn't care when it happened. 
I ain't care now. <laughs> Getting old. I just see it all over the place. This is just a man with his mental capabilities breaking because I keep seeing this on my timeline. Did Sean Clifford need to talk about it? No. It was over on Saturday. People are just talking about this on Twitter every day. You know what? It still happened. The Bills-Chiefs game, Levi Wallace and Taron Johnson both got booed. Have you seen Bills fans complaining on Twitter about how the Kansas City crowd, the mean old Kansas City Chiefs fans, booed Taron Johnson and Levi Wallace? No, when we were making fun of the Chiefs on Wednesday, it was more of the fact they were complaining about the rough and the passer thing than the actual booing of the injuries because it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> I don't know why it's seen as this huge thing. Oh, the home fans booed the uh, the ball falling off the tee. They were just booing it because it kept falling off. They weren't going, oh, screw that Penn State kicker. It was the first thing of the game. That shows you one thing. The crowd was in Sean, or Sean Clifford, for James Franklin's head. Did I say Sean Franklin earlier? I don't know. But man, I'm tired of hearing about it. Like this, this sounds like, it feels like this is the first time this has ever happened with the way this is getting talked about. Oh, those mean old away fans or home fans booed my injured players. It happens everywhere. I'm not saying it's right. It's not. And I understand the point of if you were a parent, your 19-year-old was getting booed by 70,000 people, how would you feel? Okay, probably not great. Would you say if this was flipped and it was at Beaver Stadium, who on Big Game, uh, what's their, their stupid Twitter account called? Big Game Boomer. On Instagram and Twitter, the most toxic fans of the Big Ten, according to him. Now, I don't know how this person calculates all this stuff. Most toxic fans of the Big Ten are Penn State. Now, I don't agree with that. I think it's Nebraska, but he put them in least. I don't know how the hell that worked out. But you think Penn State fans weren't going to boo too? Every single home crowd with injuries happen, they boo. I've been to a lot of sporting events. A lot of them. And you can't tell me. That, oh, mean old Iowa fans were booing. It happened more at Beaver Stadium. I can guarantee you that one because there's about 30,000, 40,000 more people, which is why it would statistically happen more. Not saying that it would happen more because I hate Penn State fans. I don't. I'm just saying statistically there's more people there. (laughs) So we have to, to put in those numbers there. Oh, but man, it pops up every day. My brain is melting. From seeing this every day. And Sean Clifford had a freaking press conference about it. And he had stuff written down on a sheet of paper. It's not that deep. It's just not. <laughs> I, I watched on Sunday. Chiefs fans boo. Taron Johnson and Levi Wallace. Levi Wallace never came back into the game. We want to use that excuse. I don't really care they booed. It happens. It's a sporting event. In a big time atmosphere. It doesn't matter. People are going to say a lot worse things to your 19-year-old kid than booing them. (laughs) There's a lot worse things that I've heard at a lot of places than boo. The only time I've ever booed a team was when the Chiefs were rolling out and just the team that's coming out, you have to boo them. Does that hurt their feelings too? I mean, they're getting booed. Who the hell cares? You're getting booed regardless. Regardless if you're faking an injury or not. And again, booing the injuries. I gotta keep stressing this. I'm not saying that's right. It's not. Because when Stoke City played Arsenal a few years ago, Stoke City fans booed Aaron Ramsey, who snapped his leg. Because they thought he was faking. And Aaron Ramsey does not have a great relationship with Stoke City fans. And as a result, 
But you didn't have a whole press conference, at least that I remember. They talked about it because of the fact he snapped his leg, but <laughs> it's a little different than, oh, he, he had a hand injury, so he had to lay down on the field. It's a little different than snapping your freaking shin, in my opinion. Like, I just saw a clip on Twitter from the Pitt versus Georgia, or UCF game in 2018. They're lined up to go and a Pitt player just falls over on the ground. Like, fake injuries happen. I'm not going to sit here and say, point out which injury was fake every single time. But you also can't sit there and go, yeah, every injury was legit. Every single one. And I also heard some things that Penn State has calls or something that say, I heard turtle was something. Like, get down, fake an injury. Now, I will say this. Do they coach faking injuries? I don't believe so. I'm not there, so I can't give a definite answer about that. I don't believe they do. be pretty stupid. But for strategic purposes, I guess it makes kind of sense. But I don't believe they coach it. That's something that got brought up a little bit. Because I think they're... I, I don't really know what it is, to be honest. I just heard that on Twitter, and I heard it on the radio today. There was another word, but I can't remember what it was. But yeah, I'm just... <laughs> I talked about it a lot more than I wanted. I wanted to do like a 15-second thing. But I'm just... It's all over my social media. All over it. <laughs> I saw something. It was a Cyclone fan on Twitter. It's one of those people that doesn't use their actual face for a profile picture. You know what kind of people I'm talking about. The name's not actually their name on Twitter. It's uh, something different, and it's not their face. Popped up my Twitter line. This is why most, all, most of America hates this team. What, does most of America hate Iowa? Do they? Because most of the time I hear people talking about Iowa, I hear about the wave. I hear about Iowa's defense. I don't hear a lot of people say F Iowa, apart from Iowa State fans. The most hated team in the state of Iowa is Iowa State. I went to UNI. Most people at UNI are Iowa fans. That's a joke that gets thrown around on Twitter all the time. Because the reason is, a lot UNI is in the eastern part of the state. So is Iowa. People that grew up in Cedar Falls, sorry to hear that, sorry to say this, most people that grew up in Cedar Falls did not cheer for UNI. It's just the truth. They cheer for Iowa. Iowa and Iowa State, or UNI and Iowa State play almost every year. Iowa and UNI don't. For the past 10 years or so, UNI and Iowa State's been fairly competitive. They don't like Iowa State at UNI. They like Iowa at UNI. So by that calculation, the three biggest universities in Iowa, two of them hate Iowa State. I know they hate Iowa State. You never saw anybody wear Iowa State colors at UNI. Saw a lot of Iowa stuff. Saw a lot of UNI stuff. Iowa State's more hated than Iowa. (laughs) Way more hated. I get the reasons for disliking Iowa. There's a lot of things I understand. Get behind the not get behind in the University of Iowa. I don't like a lot of their coaches. Doyle getting fired, rightfully so. Brian Ferentz is damn lucky he's got a job still. I don't know how the hell he still is, regardless of the the actual allegations against him, but the coaching sucks as well. <laughs> he sucks in every category. He stinks as a person, stinks as a coach. I'm not going to sit here and defend Iowa all the time. But most of the time I hear people talk about Iowa in the national media, it's always something positive. So I don't think most of America hates Iowa. I think Nebraska hates Iowa. I think Minnesota hates Iowa. I know Minnesota hates Iowa because I was at a church camp there years ago. And I had a Legends of Iowa shirt on. I went to a football camp called Legends of Iowa. It was at Waukee. 
and it was like position coaches. So you had my position coaches for quarterbacks were Brad Banks and Chuck Long. I have a picture with Chuck Long that my dad said my grandpa Roger would have had a heart attack if he had seen me with that picture because he's a big Iowa fan, big Hayden Fry, all black and gold. Chuck Long was his guy. And I had a shirt on at this church camp, and they were going, oh, Legends of Iowa. I didn't know Iowa had Legends. That's coming from a Minnesota fan whose greatest ever player is Lawrence Maroney. <laughs> it's not, I just can't think of any off the top of my head. There's probably more. I apologize. I just can't think of anything. What, Marquise Gray? Who was their quarterback? Number eight, uh, Weber. I think Eric Decker went there. Is that right? Am I thinking of the right person? <laughs> so many legends from Minnesota. I mean, to my knowledge, they don't have a Heisman Trophy winner. But, I mean, that was a long time ago, but he <laughs> still don't have one. I can name, I obviously grew up an Iowa fan, so I naturally name more Iowa legends than <laughs> Minnesota legends. But, yeah, Wisconsin hates Iowa. I'm pretty sure now Penn State <laughs> hates Iowa. <laughs> Oh, man. But, yeah, I saw all those things on Twitter. I think it's kind of funny how it still gets brought up today. And I'm bringing it up now. I'm not doing much better myself. But <laughs> I'm trying to come at it a little more different because I'm just I'm critiquing both. I'm not saying one's bad. Like, booing injuries, bad. Don't do it. But there were some questionable injuries out there. I'm not saying either one's right because neither one of them are right. Because James Franklin conveniently left out a few of them. But that's beside the point. I watched all three videos that dude tweeted because I don't remember who tweeted, uh, uh, quote tweeted it. It was an Iowa State fan. No, it was a, a writer. Who was it? I don't remember. It was it Trent Peterson. I'm blank. I, I apologize. I don't have the tweet. I'm trying to go off memory here. But yeah, that was just, I'm tired of seeing it. Hey, I'm not doing great. By not talking about it for a short period of time. Because I keep rambling about it. Because I'm just angry. <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait for this to happen in the Big Ten Championship game. Good Lord. But, yeah. I, I heard also on the radio that Iowa needs to get style points. I mean, they've already beaten three top 25 teams and two top 10 teams. I don't think they need to do any style points. I think that's fine. Like, this is this is a different team than in 2015-16 when they went undefeated. Because at that time, I don't remember their exact schedule, but that was the whole fake idea of college football thing that Colin Coward was wheeling out every day. So every single game, they played two in the regular season, two top 25 teams, Wisconsin and Northwestern, who Wisconsin was ranked 19th with Northwestern was ranked 20th. You look at all the other teams they played that season, Illinois State, Iowa State, Pitt, North Texas, then Wisconsin, Illinois, Northwestern, Maryland, Indiana, Minnesota, Purdue, Nebraska. And then they played Michigan State and then got shit stomped by Stanford in the Rose Bowl. And <laughs> that that team is different than this team. I think offensively, you had better players on this team, but the defense, yeah, you had Desmond King, who won the Jim Thorpe Award, but man, they this defense is insane. Absolutely insane defense. I'm not. I'm still not a huge fan of Spencer Petras. I don't agree with what Fox Sports was saying when Iowa played Maryland that speech, Spencer Petras is developing into an outstanding quarterback. Don't agree with that at all. Uh, Tyler Goodson's awesome. We've understood that. Tyler Linderbaum is an awesome center, best center in college football, arguably the best old lineman in college football, and we'll talk about that when we get to – I'm going to do a top 10 mock draft. So it's not a full thing. We're halfway through the college football season right now. I want to do a top 10 mock draft, and then when we're halfway through the NFL season – 
I want to do a full 32-team mock draft. Okay? Sound good? Perfect. But this Iowa team, I think, is better than the 2015-16 team. I don't think they get shit-stomped like they do in a, uh, a bowl game, <laughs> like they did that year. But I also think that it's going to be scary playing in like Alabama or Georgia. But if you look at how they've been this year, Georgia particularly, Georgia's offense is not that good. Zamir White is a beast at running back, but I don't know who their quarterback is, whether it's Stetson Bennett or JT Daniels, whichever one plays. They don't need to do a lot. JT Daniels, I know, I've never thought is that good. And Stetson Bennett is just more athletic, but really small comparatively. He's not a very big guy. But they've got great, I don't know, defense. <laughs> That's all they really need to do. They just need to play to not lose, and they can do that. Like against Arkansas, I think Stetson Bennett threw it like 10 times, at least it felt like it, because they just ran the ball in Arkansas' throat the entire game. The entire time. Alabama has Bryce Young, who's probably the Heisman favorite still. But I saw some things on Twitter today and Instagram that said the best call the Heisman Trophy winner is going to be your running back. And I can agree with that 100%. I can get behind that fact. I still think at this point, I mean, it's hard to say that because he just lost to Texas A&M, who just lost to Mississippi State and beat Colorado by three. But it's hard to say he's still the guaranteed Heisman winner at this point. Because there's two running backs in particular that are really, really good. Bijan Robinson, Kenneth Walker III. We talked about Kenneth Walker III quite a bit on this show. And I think those two, clearly, to me, I mean, you have a few others in there, like Blake Corum from Michigan should definitely be mentioned up there. He's had himself a great year. Then you've got Zach Charbonnet from UCLA, also has to get mentioned up there. I mean, we also have to kind of talk about Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller, Kyron Williams, players that haven't. To where their standards were where we started the season, I don't think they're where they were before we started. I mean, Brees Hall, all these guys, they're still great running backs, nothing to take away from them. But I think we're talking about Heisman. I don't think those three are winning it. We're looking at the running backs. The best running backs in college football right now are Kenneth Walker and Bijan Robinson. Bijan Robinson's got 789 yards and eight touchdowns. And then you look at Kenneth Walker, who's had, I think, three. 200-plus yard rushing games this season, 913 yards, 9 touchdowns. Good freaking Lord. And Peyton Thorne's playing really well as well. So, yeah, Penn State's got a gauntlet to get through, but so does everybody else in the Big Ten East, which is just how the conference works out. It's not great, <laughs> which, does, which doesn't help Iowa, which is why the 2015-16 team got bashed on so much because the Big Ten West was so bad. It was terrible. I don't think there was a single team that year with a winning record. At least it felt like it. Could be wrong about that, but I feel like that's just how it felt. But like Michigan State, they have to end the season at Ohio State, then at home against Penn State. That's where Michigan State. Then they play Michigan on October 30th, Halloween or trick-or-treat night <laughs> for Iowa anyways. I don't know how it works for other country or other states. But man, Big Ten East is a tough SOB. Tough SOB. And Mel Tucker should be talked about for Coach of the Year. I saw a thing from Pro Football College, Pro Football Focus College, that had Steve Sarkeesian, Texas's coach, who, remember Texas? I, they just blew a huge lead against Oklahoma and got ass-pounded by Arkansas. Remember them? Yeah, their head coach is somehow PFF's, one of their Coach of the Year candidates. Luke Fickle, understand. Completely understand. I don't remember who the last one was. I remember Luke Fickle and Steve Sarkeesian. 
But Kirk Ferentz has to be mentioned up there. Luke Fickle, Kurt, for, perfectly fine with him being mentioned up there. Mel Tucker definitely has to be mentioned up there. From the expectation of what Michigan State was supposed to be this year to now, it's completely different. Like I have Phil Steele's college football preview next to me. Let's see where he thought Michigan State would finish in the Big Ten. This would look very bad if he had them doing pretty well. Come on. Go back. One page. Yeah, Michigan State finishing last in the Big Ten East. Last. Seventh place. And they're a top ten team in college football right now. In this, he said, last year went as I expected for the Spartans, as I said over the summer, that Mel Tucker probably had the hardest job of any first-year head coach. Not only taking over a team without the benefit of spring practices, but taking over a team after the freshman class had already been signed in February. They did they did have two bright spots with a big upset over rival Michigan and also defeat Northwestern. Their only loss the season. Dealt Northwestern their only loss the season. This year, have 16 returning stars should be, and should be much improved. They look to be a year away from making an East run. So much improved, and they have 7th place in the Big Ten. 13th best quarterback. 8th best running back. Good Lord. Kenneth Walker might be the best running back in college football, and Peyton Thorne has had himself a very nice season. 13th for quarterback. That's kind of crazy. But yeah, they were not expected to do anything this year. They're freaking awesome. I think most people knew Iowa's defense was going to be good. I don't think they knew it would be this good. Offense, pretty much as expected, I guess. Nothing spectacular. Very short fields to play with most of the time. I think they've gotten an interception every game. Could be wrong. Didn't watch Kent State or Colorado State games. We were doing stuff that weekend. <laughs> but it's all the other games. Got interceptions in those ones. So, yeah, crazy stuff in college football right now. Crazy, crazy stuff. Iowa State, they got a big game this weekend against Kansas State. A team that's been tough for a lot of teams this year. In Manhattan, Iowa State is favored, which I'm not too surprised about. But yeah, tough game for Iowa State this weekend. And the UNI Panthers coming off a loss against North Dakota State. Rough loss against North Dakota State. Not not great. Not a great one. I mean, it's, it's North Dakota State. So going to the Fargo Dome is tough enough. It's just a tough place to play. Let's just call it what it is. And then this weekend, they play South Dakota. A team that we talked about. I don't know if we, how much we've talked about this, but when Iowa beat Ohio State, like, destroyed them. Remember that game? I, I think <laughs> most people know what I talk about when I say, when Iowa played Ohio State, that game. You know, your brain doesn't normally go to the James Vandenberg game at Ohio State. Because we could do the, the thing there, too. The asterisk of Ricky Stanley didn't get hurt. Iowa would go undefeated. It gets talked about, but not often. kind of just gets talked about in Iowa circles just for fun. James Vandenberg threw like four or five interceptions against Ohio State. They went to overtime. Yeah, so we can do the asterisk thing again. Does that season have an asterisk for Iowa? They went 11-2, and two, beat Georgia Tech, but does that have an asterisk because they would have been in the national championship game? Who knows? Who really knows? But fun college football. Fun college football. But I was at the UNI-South Dakota game the year Iowa beat Ohio State, like 52-21 to or whatever the score was. They were playing South Dakota, and South Dakota's ranked second or third in the nation. I got recruited by South Dakota. Not very long, <laughs> we got recruited by. I went to a recruiting camp up there. It was the first padded camp I'd ever been to, and it was really weird. It was the first time I threw with pads all summer because we had a summer camp, I guess, for football practices, but never had pads on. Did not do very well in the camp. Obviously did not go to South Dakota, <laughs> but that was a game we went to for that. And you and I won. So we had two big upsets that day. But no one talked about you and I's because, uh, you know, when you beat Ohio State like 52 to 21, 
it kind of goes over every other win that happened that day. Usually. Usually. And I think I'm going up to the UNI game this weekend, so that should be pretty fun. I know I'm going up to Cedar Falls. I think I'm going up to the UNI game. Hopefully. I like going to UNI football games. They're a lot of fun. And they're a fun team to watch this year. Other than the game against North Dakota State, they're a really balanced team. Rush t- rushing attack is there. It's ridiculous to think about. UNI's rushing attack is actually there. Wasn't really against North Dakota State, but they traditionally have one of the top defenses in college football. And not only that, they have one of the top, if not the top rush defense in college football. Coupled with a very run-heavy offense with a freaking 250-pound quarterback who threw an 85-yard touchdown pass against UNI. But, yeah. UNI is a lot of fun to watch. If you haven't watched UNI play this season or have not, never been to a UNI football game, I'd really recommend you go. I didn't. I missed, I think, two football games at UNI. When I was up there, I was up there for two and a half years. I think I missed two of them, two or three of them. I went to most of them. I did miss their playoff matchup against San Diego in the Unidome with Dolphins great Reed Sennett as their quarterback. Did miss that game. I know that one because Reed was playing in that game, so that's the only reason I really remember that one. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. Unidome's a lot of pl- a lot of fun to go to. Nothing great to look at on the outside. Stadium seats, I don't really like. I don't like that they're red, orange, or red, yellow, and blue. Doesn't I don't like it. They need to do some renovations to the stands. They're doing a huge renovation in there right now, but they're a lot of fun to watch. South Dakota's always a really fun game to see when you and I is playing them. You're, you, I think they'll be on KCCI this week, or K, not KCCI, uh, KCWI, Channel 23 here in Des Moines. So if you want to watch that, Turn it there. I think they should be on that game. Or they'll be on ESPN Plus or ESPN3. Because that's what I did when I was at UNI. We're for ESPN Plus, ESPN3. But yeah, good lord. That was a long-winded just talk <laughs> about random shit in college football. Let's do some betting. Okay? Now, these are subject to change. When college football happened, or before Saturday. So when I post this thing on Friday, it might look different than what I've said on the show. Could look totally different. I'm not saying it will, but I might change it because I might go, ooh, why did I say that crap on the show? And we're not gonna go over every pick because there's like 30 games in here that I want to go over, and I, uh, we just don't have that kind of time. Well, we do. I just don't want to go over all that because that's very long show, and it's getting late as it is. This is the latest show I've recorded in about a month, maybe a little longer than a month. I haven't done a late late show in a while, so I'd like to end it a little sooner than what I have in the past. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll go over the big ones. There's some of the big ones. So Friday night, we talked about two top 25 games going on. I guess I had top 25 teams in them, not two top 25 matchups. But there's one that's not a top 25 matchup that's very it's funny that's not top 25. It's Clemson versus Syracuse. Clemson's no-ass having offense So <laughs> versus Syracuse, who's got a fairly good defense in a place that's really tough to play. At night, especially. I know Syracuse is not a very big football powerhouse, but with the way Clemson's been playing this year and how Syracuse's defense has played for most of the season, I know they gave up a crap ton of points against Florida State and Wake Forest, but those games were competitive. Every game they've lost has been below a touchdown. They lost by, well, I guess 10 points against Rutgers. I didn't. I, I can't count, sorry. <laughs> but they lost by three to Florida State Wake Forest. On the road at Florida State, Florida State beat North Carolina this week. So that's not anything to scoff at anymore, <laughs> but losing to Florida State. At the beginning of the year, that would have been bad. They were 0-4 and terrible. Now they're 2-4 and and still terrible, but they beat North Carolina, so that's fine. <laughs> but Syracuse is a tough place to play. I know it may not seem like that, 
but their student section on these night games gets really rowdy. They have played, I think, two night games this season. I know they played Liberty at night, which is a very fun game to watch. But I'm going to – Clemson is favored in this game, which I'm not too surprised about. 14-point favorites at this point in time. But I think Syracuse can cover. I think Syracuse can cover with the fact that it's at the Carrier Dome, the fact that Clemson has no semblance of an offense – and each team gives up the same number of yards or around two more yards. Syracuse gives up two more yards than Clemson this season. And Syracuse is a very run-heavy team. That can keep the ball out of Clemson's hands, who, again, doesn't have a great offense. And I'm not saying Syracuse would win. I just think they can win by or lose by less than a touchdown, pretty much. Because you look at what Clemson's done this season. You lost to NC State. You barely beat Boston College without their starting quarterback. You barely beat Georgia Tech, who just got ass-pounded by Pitt two weeks ago. And then you beat South... Okay, you killed South Carolina State. Good good for you. But at Syracuse, that's a tough place to play. And I'm intrigued how they do against Pitt. They play them the next game on the 23rd. That's going to be an interesting one. Pitt's offense is insane. Kenny Pickett is one of the best quarterbacks in college football this season. So that'll be a fun one. I know Clemson's defense is good, but... Pitt's offense is really good as well. And they've got a tough game coming up against the Virginia Tech, we'll get to in a little bit. But I think Clemson or Syracuse can cover in this game. I think Syracuse will cover this one. Minus 14 or plus 14 for Syracuse. San Diego State at San Jose State, minus nine. I'm going to take the Aztecs in this one over the Spartans. San Jose is the Spartans, Aztecs. That's San Diego State, for those of you who are unaware. San Diego State, again, nine-point favorite. I really like San Diego State. I know that... San Jose State is a very experienced quarterback in Nick Starkle. He's been all over the country. I think he's played. I know he's played for Arkansas. I think he's played for AM as well. AM or Mississippi State, not sure. Maroon and white team. I don't know. And then now San Jose State. Decent quarterback. Can turn the ball over quite a bit. But San Jose State, or San Diego State, my bad, has a very strong defense. They seem to always have a fairly decent defense. And they score a lot of points. San Diego State is generally a good team. And I'm going to take them to cover in this game after San Jose State's coming off a bad, bad loss to Colorado State. Every game they've lost this season has been well over double digit, or well over, it wasn't triple digits, but very big double digit loss. 32-14, a bad Colorado State team. 23-3 to Western Michigan, which is not bad. Western Michigan's a good team. And 30-7 against USC, which is the same score Iowa beat Kent State by. But I'm going to take this Aztecs in this one, Aztecs. What was it again? Nine points for the Aztecs. And the next one we got for the last Friday game, to my knowledge anyways, is Oregon versus Cal. 13 and a half point favorites. I did not realize Cal was one and four until today. I did not realize that. And all of their games, apart from last week's game against Washington State, or two weeks, however long ago that was, have been very, very close. They might be one of the most hard-done college football teams this year. They imploded against Nevada. They lost to TCU by two. They lost to Washington by seven, and they just lost to Washington State. Oregon is coming up a, I don't know if that's a bad, bad loss, because Stanford's a really tough team, especially to play at their place. But Oregon should be able to beat Cal by nine points, right? Or thir- What was the line again? <laughs> what was the line again for that? 13 and a half, eh, scary. Scary line, but I think Oregon should be able to beat them, right? I like Chase Garbers a lot, Cal's quarterback. I like him. Very multidimensional quarterback. Oregon has given up a lot of yards on defense. Both teams given up a decent amount of yards on defense. Oregon scored a lot more points this year, 24 to 35, or 38, 35.8, I 
I guess the 36 points a game technically. I'm going to take Oregon. 13 and a half is a lot, but being at Outson Stadium at night is going to be a very tough place to play. I'm not saying Oregon's the greatest team ever, and Cal has been a little hard done by this season. Is very close to being a 4-1 football team right now versus a 1-4, and no and 2 in conference play. But yeah, I'm going to take the Ducks. I'm going to take the Ducks. Like, if you look at Washington and you look at TCU, all right teams, all right to say the least, but nothing special, both on the road. I think Oregon can take it to Cal. I, I'm not confident about that one. I'm not confident about that one whatsoever because I do like Chase Garbers, Cal's quarterback, a lot. I do like him. Or a lot. A lot uh, might be an extension. It might be a little bit <laughs> of a stretch. Uh, next one, A&M at Missouri. Missouri's been weird this season, very weird. I mean, they got <laughs> pounded by Tennessee, 62-24. to A Tennessee offense before that week looked like it was in neutral the entire season. And they exploded randomly for 62 points. And they lost to Kentucky and they lost at Boston College. Three of their two three two of their three losses have been on the road this season. And there was a lot of drama going into that Boston College game that we're not going to get into. There's just a lot of childish stuff going on. And unsurprisingly, AM is favored to win this game, regardless if it's at Missouri or not. Missouri scores a lot of points. They put up a lot of yards, but good lord. They give up a lot of yards as well. 499 yards on the dot this season, on average. Their scores, on average, are 37.8 to 37.5. AM does not allow a lot of points. They'll have 16.8. Now, the problem is here, I would normally go with AM, or I might go with AM still, so hold on. But they're coming off a massive win against Alabama. They might be drained from that game. Happened later, finished late. Going into an early 11 o'clock game at a team that has a lot of yards, passing and running. Maybe this is a little slip-up game for them in regards to covering the spread. I mean, the spread is not great as it is. 8.5 for a team that just beat Alabama. You might expect to be a little, but that's the whole aspect of them playing a late game, coming off a very emotional win against the number one team in the country, assistant coach has never beat Nick Saban before. This might be down for a letdown game. Might be. So I'm not going to pick that one, but if you're thinking about it, it might be a letdown game for AM. Might be. Just because of how many yards Missouri puts up. They are just as easily able to give up a lot of yards as we saw in the Tennessee game. A dead offense resurrected against Missouri's defense. A very bad Missouri defense. Michigan State, Indiana. Indiana's offense... Is pretty dead. I mean, Michael Penix doesn't look like he knows how to put on his shoes right now, let alone lead a competent drive. I don't know if it's all mental for Michael Penix this season because he just looks off. And Michigan State, what they do better than almost everybody in college football is run the ball down their throats, control game time, and then Peyton Thorne is able to dissect the defense because they're set so far in on the run. Kenneth Walker III, like we've said, is one of the, if not the best running back in college football. So... I'm going to take Michigan State here. Even though it's at Indiana, Michigan State, I think, should cover. Michigan State has been weirdly, had had some weirdly low spreads this season. Like, very low. It always feels like it's somewhere below five for Michigan State. For how good of a team they are, it's very weird to see how low these spreads are. But they should be able to beat Indiana. Indiana's offense has not been anything special this season. I'm going to go with the Spartans. Spartans have almost 500 yards of offense. They average over 200 yards a game rushing. Like, they'll run that ball down Indiana's throat. They will do. <laughs> they give up a lot of yards on defense. But again, 
I don't really trust Indiana's offense. I like Ty Freifel a lot, their wide receiver, but I'm in Michigan State should be able to cover against Indiana. Next one we got on here. Again, I'm not going to talk about all of them because I still need to do some dissecting on these games. Cincinnati at UCF, or UCF at Cincinnati. Cincinnati's a 21-point favorite. They're just coming off a game where they destroyed Temple last Friday. UCF has had some close games, but they lost to a not-great Navy team. Navy team that had no wins prior to that. <laughs> and they, they played tough. Navy's been playing tough this season. They're coming off a loss against Memphis that just happened tonight. But they put together an 11-minute 50 drive or something along those lines. 11-minute drive. Let's just call it that. Memphis, they can run the ball down people's throats. And people, I think everybody knows in America, Memphis defense is trash. And it has been for like the past decade, it feels like. They've never really, at least to my knowledge anyway, I could be completely wrong about that, has had a good defense. UCF is without, to my knowledge again, starting quarterback Dylan Gabriel. I think he's, I believe he's still out. And Cincinnati has a really good defense. Always have. Ever since Luke Fickle's been there, their defense has always been extremely stout. Extremely stout. And they played some tough games this season. They played again at Indiana, at Notre Dame. I think they can beat UCF on Saturday. 21 points, though. That's a lot. That's a lot of points. As of right now, I still think Cincinnati can cover. Being at Nippert Stadium, being how good their defense is, being that USF, UCF might be playing with a backup quarterback, I'm going to take the Bearcats in that one. Next one, we got North Carolina-Miami. Derek King's out for the year. I don't care if North Carolina just lost by 10 to Florida State. They should have a bounce-back game. It's at home. They're favored by a touchdown. North Carolina should win. Iowa-Purdue, I'm scared of David Bell a lot. David Bell is one of the better wide receivers in college football, but just doesn't get talked about because he plays for Purdue. Similar to Rondell Moore last year, but David Bell's a beast. He's an absolute beast. Jake, Jack Plummer, not Jake Plummer, is one of the better quarterbacks in the Big Ten as well. Like, if you look at the yards they get on offense, Purdue has almost 100 yards more than Iowa on offense, and they are an extremely, extremely one-dimensional team, which might play in Iowa's favor here in their ball-hawking defense. I don't know. Now, Jack Plummer's numbers seem pretty down, so he might be out. He might be injured. I just haven't watched a lot of Purdue football this year. Because compared to what he's usually at, his numbers are pretty low. And Aiden O'Connell has got 743 yards. Is he going to start against Iowa? Is Jack Plummer going to start over? Oh, Jack Plummer, 10 minutes ago. Is that a month ago or minutes ago? I don't know. Hold on. (laughs) I'm not sure. That's two years ago. Well, that's not right. I don't know who's starting a quarterback for Purdue, <laughs> to be 100% honest here. I thought it was Plummer, and now I'm looking at the stats, and it looks like Aiden McCarthy. I don't know who's starting. Do they play a two-quarterback system? Is that what they do? Either way, they're one-dimensional. It doesn't matter which quarterback's playing. They're one-dimensional. I did not think I needed to do that because going into the season, I thought Jack Plummer was pretty much nailed on to be the starter. Now it looks like they're doing a two-quarterback thing. So, is that my fault for not coming in more prepared? Yeah, yeah, I apologize for that. <laughs> I have, to be honest, I'll hold my hands up high for this. Scout's honor. I have not watched a lot of Purdue this year. I can't say I have. Can't say I have. I mean, they're exciting games against UConn, Illinois, and Minnesota have not really enticed me enough. But they're very one-dimensional. I did have them covering against Notre Dame. That did not happen. But, Yeah. I'm going to take Iowa. They're favored by 11.5. I'm going to take the Hawkeyes in that game. Kent State, Western Michigan. 
This, you want some action here. This is a very nice Mac game we got going on. Western Michigan is coming off a pretty, pretty bad loss against Ball State. A 45-20 loss against Ball State. That was almost the same spread they had against Michigan, who's a top 10 teams in college football. Top 10 team. And that was at home. Kent State is a very nice football team. I'm not saying they're the greatest team of all time, but they put up a lot of yards. On the same hand, they give up a lot of yards as well. They're 3-3 three and three right now. They gave Iowa a huge run for their money earlier in the season. They're coming off two pretty impressive wins. A win versus Buffalo is very big. The game, the fact that it's at Western Michigan scares me a little bit because I know Western Michigan's a pretty, pretty tough team, even though they're coming off an embarrassing loss to Ball State. And Ball State's a good team. They were supposed to be one of the better teams in the MAC this year. They're kind of underperforming to what the levels were that they had this season. And it's scary. And I don't know who I'm going to pick here. I don't know who I'm going to pick. But it's going to be a fun game. I'm leaning towards Kent State. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Georgia, Kentucky, 22 and a half. I know that's a big spread. I'm taking Georgia. Don't care. I'm not picking against Georgia the rest of the season. Don't care. Do not care. I like Chris Rodriguez, Kentucky's running back. But they're very run heavy. Which, to, to be fair to Kentucky, being run heavy might tire out Georgia's defense. Might tire them out. Chris Rodriguez is one of the better running backs in college football. But <laughs> he has been playing Georgia's defense, who gives up an astonishing 201 yards a game. 201. That is ridiculous. Like you look at the teams that Kentucky's played this year. Louisiana Monroe, Missouri, Chattanooga, South Carolina, Florida, and LSU. LSU's defense is widely known to suck this season. Florida's done really nothing that special on defense apart from playing Alabama really close. South Carolina's defense was really good at the start of the year, and then they played some teams, and then we've already talked about Missouri. We don't need to talk about you and Louisiana Monroe and Chattanooga. This is not the same team. They beat Arkansas by 37 points. I thought Arkansas could cover that game. They did not. So we are not going to bet against Georgia for the rest of the season. Unless they play Alabama in the SEC Championship game, then they might have to think about it. But you look at their games they got this year. Where are you betting against, not even just Georgia, just betting against their defense? Florida, Emory Jones probably going to throw three interceptions that game. Missouri, they got beat by, <laughs> by Tennessee 62-20-something. to 20 something. I'm not scared of that. Tennessee's offense halters like every other game. Then you've got Charleston Southern. Is that who that is? Yeah, don't care. That's going to be a blowout. And then Georgia Tech, don't care if they beat Clemson or almost beat Clemson and beat North Carolina. They got ass-pounded by Pitt. I'm not really nervous about this game in regards to Georgia. So I'm not betting against Georgia's defense the rest of the year. If I see a line, I think they'll cover it. Georgia's offense can do enough to keep the ball out of their team's hands, so run the ball that's down their throat with Zemir White. They don't need to do anything special on offense, just keep the ball out of their hands, let the defense do the work. That's fine. I saw a thing on Twitter today about the Buffalo Bills defense, which is not the same. I mean, it's an NFL defense, so it's better, but I, and I, I random thing, I hate when we bring up the who would win, Alabama or the Browns, like when the Browns were 0-16. Well, obviously the Browns. What kind of stupid question is that? Every player on the Browns was a top player in college. Alabama has players that won't go to the NFL. And you think that Alabama, with players that won't go, with probably three or four first-round draft picks, just in a natural year, average, is beating a team full 
a pretty much first round draft picks because it's the Browns. They always have first round draft picks. I hate that. But the Bills' opponents have turned the ball over on 28.8, 22.8% of their possessions versus the Bills' defense. Bills' opponents have scored on 19.3% of their possessions. So your teams are more likely to turn the ball over than the Bill, versus the Bills than score. That's some 2000s Raven shit is what the tweet says. <laughs> and that's what Georgia's defense is like. So I'm crazy to bet ever against Georgia's defense. It's ridiculous. Next setup, we've got going on Boston College versus NC State. That will be a very fun game. At Boston College, very tough. But Phil Yurkovic's out. Boston College is a very good run team. Lines at three. I think NC State should be able to cover Iowa State versus Kansas State. Kansas State, tough place to play. Don't have a lot of home atmosphere, but for some reason it's a tough place to play. Don't know why. Teams always struggle to play there, it seems like. Cyclones are favored by six and a half. I'll take the Cyclones. I'll take the Cyclones. Yeah, for right now anyways. Mississippi or Ole Miss, for you uncultured swines out there, taking on Tennessee at Tennessee. Neyland Stadium, for being as average or below average Tennessee has been over the years, that place is tough to play. It's like 110,000 or something. Or what does it say on here? Does that have an exact capacity? 102,000 seats for Tennessee. My uncle's a Tennessee fan. Their offense randomly got super good. Their quarterback right now, Hendon Hooker, 13 touchdowns, one interception. 13 and one interception. He's a former Virginia Tech quarterback. Their offense is ridiculous. Ole Miss just gave up 600 yards of offense to Arkansas. 600. Ole Miss themselves got 600 yards. Their defense is ass. Like, ass to the nth degree. They get... This is the insane stat. This is like Memphis-level bad. 567 yards... 61 yards of offense. 429 yards given up. That's like Memphis. Where they have an insane number of yards on offense and an insane number of yards given up on defense. Now, Tennessee's no better. I mean, they are better because, I mean, you're not really competing a lot on the defensive side of the ball. But yeah, this will be a shootout. Do I think that Ole Miss will win this game by three? Maybe. It's scary because Tennessee at home, mid-afternoon ball game. or at, No, night game. 6.30. I thought it was 2.30. 6.30 game. What? Do you hear that? Did you hear that? My phone is talking to me in the background. It's Siri turned on randomly. I don't know what that... Sorry for the random cut there. I had to shut off my I just shut off my phone. But a bit a late game at Neyland Stadium. That'll be fun. That'll be a very fun game. Very, very fun game. And the last game I kind of want to talk about here is Wisconsin and Army. Now, on paper, this shouldn't be a fun game. Wisconsin's a 14-point favorite in this game. And spread-wise, probably rightfully so. I mean, it's Army. What is what is little old Army gonna do Wisconsin football? I'll tell you what they're gonna do. They're going to run the ball down Wisconsin's throat like they always do. Every time I see these matchups of these big-time schools versus these option teams, it feels like it's something weird, especially with Army. Like, you look at the game against Oklahoma a few years ago with Kyler Murray as their starting quarterback, and they took Oklahoma to overtime. They lost 28-21. to You look at the year after against Michigan, double overtime at Michigan, 21-24. Then Cincinnati. 24-10, whatever. Didn't care about that one. But these games are close because they don't have anybody to train their defense up on the triple option, which is what Army runs very, very well. Probably the best in the country. 
Like, you don't have people to run that. It makes it very hard to prepare. So, Army is a very real shot at not winning the game, but covering a 14-point spread. Like, Army just will run the ball down Wisconsin's throat. Now, the problem is, here's the issue. We talked about this against Michigan. Wisconsin has one of the, I think they still have the best rush defense in college football. So that's the problem here. You're going to have a team that averages 69.6 yards passing a game versus a team that allows 41.4 rush yards a game. There's no pass offense in Army. 318 yards rushing a game for Army. And Wisconsin gives up 41. Now, Michigan with a very limited offense came into Wisconsin beat them by double digits. But now we're talking about two different things. Top 10 team in Michigan versus an unranked Army team that just lost to Ball State. So, talking about different things here. But I'm not saying Army will win. I'm saying it will be tough for Wisconsin. They've been in big environments before. Night game on Saturday. Big game. Went to Oklahoma. Almost beat them. I'm pretty sure it was Baker Mayfield's Heisman unveiling ceremony or whatever. Went to the big house in Michigan. Almost beat Michigan. I'm just saying... It might be closer than what you think. Might be. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm fine with being wrong. But I'm just saying look out for that because it's very hard to scheme when you don't run or see the triple option that often. It's very hard to scheme that. So those are some games I'm looking at for this week and we'll have a full thing for you on Friday or today. So you'll see that on my Instagram and Twitter. So you'll go and find those at the Logan Blackman Show 1 and Blackman Logan. No, that's, the, that's my personal Instagram. Logan underscore Blackman is my Twitter account. So you can go follow those. While you're doing that, might as well go like the Facebook page, Logan Blackman Show, and go follow me on LinkedIn, Logan Blackman, and go subscribe to the YouTube channel. And since you're listening on here, go listen to the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts or subscribe to the Apple Podcasts and Spotify account. I will be very grateful. Now, for NFL action, before we get to the draft stuff, for NFL stuff, we got some big games. We had the Bucks coming off a win against the Philadelphia Eagles, 28-22. Tom Brady, 297 yards passing, two touchdowns. Leonard Fournette, two touchdowns in the game. Antonio Brown, still balling out, 93 yards touchdown. I mean, it's not the game that I think most people are expecting. I think the Eagles offense played probably better than what you were expecting against a good Bucks defense. Jalen Hurts played well in the game, 12 of 26, 115 yards touchdown. Well, well game, good game. O.J. Howard caught a touchdown in the game. Brady threw an interception. Not a pretty game, but the Bucs came out on top. All you care about, really, is the dub. But on Sunday, we got some big games. We got the Chargers and Ravens going up. That'll be a fantastic game. And it's a damn shame I live in the state of Iowa because I got to tune in on CBS to the Chiefs and Washington football team. Good freaking Lord. Screw you, CBS. I want to watch the Ravens and Chargers. Why are the Ravens and Chargers not the late game on CBS instead of the loser Cowboys and Patriots or Raiders and Broncos? I don't care about either one of those games. And I know that stupid Cowboys-Patriots game is going to be on Channel 8 today, on Sunday. And I do not like that. That makes me very upset. I want the Chargers and Ravens. Two of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL battling out in Baltimore. I want to see that. Not the loser Cowboys versus the loser Patriots. I know the Cowboys are good, but I just don't care about the Cowboys, okay? I'm pissed off. Uh, we got another London game. Two juggernauts yet again for our friends over across the pond. We got the Dolphins and the Jaguars. Two was supposed to play, so maybe that changes things for Miami. But the Jaguars got to lose one more game to break the record for the most losses consecutively in NFL history. Beating 
The terrible Buccaneers, the expansion Buccaneers. That is some insane feat we got going down in Jacksonville. And it'd be great to do it over in England. I think that'd be fantastic. We got the Packers, Bears, Lions, and Bengals, Texans, Colts, Rams, Giants, Chiefs, Washington. And then we got the Vikings, Panthers, Cardinals, Browns, Raiders, Broncos, Cowboys, Patriots, Seahawks, Steelers, and then Monday Night Football, the Bills and Titans, who just feel like this game's always in Tennessee and I'm getting sick of it. Good Lord. I don't remember the last time the Bills played the Titans in Buffalo. Every single time. The past three times they've played, which has been in the last four years or something, they played in Tennessee. I don't understand how that's possible. But Washington, they're retiring Sean Taylor's jersey that day, which I think came at really weird timing, really coincidental timing, that it came on the same week the Washington football team is under investigation for their part in the John Gruden email scandal. So, who maybe that's trying to get something to get the pressure off of. Announced Thursday before the game. Usually those things are announced preseason. It's not announced a couple days before the game that we're going to tire Sean Taylor's jersey, one of the most beloved characters in the NFL history. Like, come on. I know they released a statement that, oh, we know this looks bad, but we had this planned all along. We just didn't announce it. What? what? That's horse shit. No one believes that. If they do, they're stupid. This is all because they got the whole email scandal. They're going to... Washington, no one likes them anyways. Like, this is different when we talk about no one liking Iowa. I don't think anybody actually likes Washington. Like, I don't know any Washington... I know, okay, one Washington football team fan. And I haven't talked to him since high school, so I don't know if he even still is a Washington football team fan. But, like, Daniel Snyder's an asshole. Bruce Allen's an asshole. Like, have you ever met a Washington football team fan? Ever? I guess it's not really people dislike them. It's just they're annoyed by them. Just the fact they exist annoys people. Ever since Daniel Snyder bought the team in the 90s, early 2000s, it's that to say the least. And now they're just coincidentally retiring Sean Taylor's jersey the same week. They have issues with email scandals, with Bruce Allen being involved, Daniel Snyder being involved. Like... Why'd they let him buy the team? Good freaking Lord. The team's been downhill ever since the NFL allowed him to buy the stupid thing. I heard Jeff Bezos was talking about buying it like earlier this summer. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. But man, Daniel Snyder, grade A asshat. Good freaking Lord. But there's some exciting games this weekend, notably the Chargers-Ravens game. Packers-Bears, the oldest rivalry in the NFL, is going to be going on. Cardinals-Browns should be a fairly fun affair. I hate Seahawks Steelers. Come on. Bills Titans will be fun. I expect, I mean, Titans defense stinks. They lost to the Jets. Bills should beat them. Knock on, knock on wood. They should totally beat the Titans. They sucked against them last year on Tuesday night football. Remember that? We No more Tuesday night football. End that shit. Get that out of the door. No more Tuesday night football. Please, no more Tuesday night football. Ever. Just because of that game. I know we all like football and want every day of the week. Screw Tuesday Night Football. Every I, I never want to watch it again. I'd be perfectly fine if it never existed. I'm on the same brain, brain length. What, what, what the hell am I even talking about? Brainwave as that as I am with the Blackhawks never playing in a Winter Classic game again. If that never happened again, be perfectly fine with that. If the Blackhawks never, ever played in a Winter Classic game or a stadium series ever again, be perfect. Be cool with it. Because every time they play in one, they freaking lose. I don't need to see that every time and I already know the outcome of the game before it even happens. It's fine when my team's supposed to win. It's not fine when I know they're going to lose. And the Blackhawks lost the first game of the season the Sabres won, which is ridiculous. They beat the Canadians 5-1. 
How the hell did that happen? I get it's only one game, but good lord, the Buffalo Sabres won a game. This is supposed to be one of the worst teams in NHL history. It's like the priest, like the Houston Texans when they beat the Jaguars week one. This is supposed to be a terrible team. Well, they'd be the first 0-17 team in NFL history. And the Sabres are the same way. They're supposed to be the worst team in NHL history. And they win in dominating fashion. How the hell is that supposed to happen? But yeah, hockey's back, which is very exciting. But before we end today's show, I want to do my top 10 picks in the draft. Just top 10, nothing more, nothing less. So here's the order as we stand right now. Number one is the Jaguars. Number two, the Lions. Three, the Texans. Four, the Jets. And here's the first of three Philadelphia Eagles picks. We got the Eagles at five, Eagles at six. Then we got the Giants seven, Falcons eight, Patriots nine, and then the Eagles at 10. So that's our current top 10 for the draft. Number one for the Jaguars, I think it's Evan Neal. The Jaguars O-line stinks. They need to change that up. Evan Neal is the best offensive tackle in this draft. I know if we're speaking best overall lineman, I could see arguments made for Linderbaum from Iowa. So... But you don't see centers get drafted first overall. You need franchise-saving left tackles. Arguably the three most important positions on a football team. Quarterback, offensive tackle, or left tackle, and D-end. Edge rusher, pass rusher, whatever you want to call it. Those are the three most important when you're looking at a draft. Those are the only three positions that realistically should be drafted first overall. Realistically. Now, there's odd cases. I know everywhere. But those are the three positions you should try to draft first. I know the Jaguars' defense is not good, but you have a quarterback that's getting beat up. Same with Zach Wilson is getting beat up in New Jersey. So you need to improve the O-line. Now for the Jets, <laughs> at four, might not get to that right now. But the Jaguars can do that. Number one O-lineman or number one tackles, Evan Neal. Pretty clear of that. He's number one preseason. He's number one still now. He'll go to Jacksonville if it stays like this. Number two, we said quarterback. I'm going to go Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon. I think the Lions... Offense has some struggles, but their O-line's injured right now. TJ Hawkinson is one of the best tight ends in football, but his numbers have gone down because of the O-lineman getting hurt. So he's had to do a lot more pass blocking than what he was expected of him at the beginning of the season. So that's affected them a little bit. They have no wide receivers, really. I mean, Amon Ross St. Brown's really nice. I hope him, he has a great, I like him. I hope he has a really good career. They got good running backs. Defense still needs improved. Stevens still needs to improve. You get a number one edge rusher, Kayvon Thibodeau, best overall player in the draft still. I mean, I can hear arguments for like Kyle Hamilton, Evan Neal, but I'm going to stick with Kayvon Thibodeau going number two to the Lions. Number three, the Texans, it's my boy. I'm going to give them Malik Willis. I don't care if Davis Mills has a fantastic rookie season. I really don't care. I love Malik Willis. Davis Mills, could prove me wrong. He has like 14 career starts past high school. 14 or 15. I think 14 because against the Bills they said 13. But he hasn't played. And he kind of got thrown to the wolves a little bit. So I can understand the aspect of get him weapons. Get him improved O-line. But do you think the Texans are really committed to Davis Mills? Maybe they are. And I'm just completely misreading this. But I would draft Malik Willis if I'm the Houston Texans. A dynamic quarterback that can move around. Laramie Tunsil's going to be back. He's injured right now, so that's a big loss for the Texans. Get Malik Willis. You'll be fine. You can have one of the best rushing attacks in the NFL. You got 18 running backs. Get Malik Willis. You'll be fine. 
Malik Willis is a special talent. I don't think he'll go number one because I don't think the two worst teams in the NFL currently need a quarterback, which is right now the Jaguars and Lions. Do I think the Lions are worse than the Texans? Probably not. I don't know. Are they worse than the Jets? Probably not. They've been pretty hard done by by a few things this season, but right now they're at number two. Number four, we got the New York Jets. I'm going to give them Derek Stingley. I mean, they're in a division with some young quarterbacks, and maybe, maybe we're looking at a Deshaun Watson transition to the division going from the Houston Texans to the Miami Dolphins. And I understand getting some pass protection from Zach Wilson because he's freaking dying out there, and I don't like to see him die like this, but I'm pretty confident, at least right now, that Robert Sala, a defensive-minded head coach, after investing pretty heavily in his draft capital in offense last year, you look at the first four picks the Jets had, Zach Wilson, Elijah Vera Tucker, Elijah Moore, and Michael Carter. You invest heavily in the offense, you're going to want to do some things on your defense. Again, defensive-minded guy. Probably look later for offensive linemen or maybe get some in the, free, the offseason. You've got two good ones, Makai Becton, Elijah Vera Tucker, but Makai... Sorry, Makai Becton dislocated his kneecap. So, that's a big loss. We're going to have to get him back sometime. I don't know when he, I don't know if he's back now. <laughs> I just remember him dislocating his kneecap. But Derek Stanley's the best corner of the draft. They're going to need some corner help. I think this is the way they go. Number five, the first of three picks, again, for the Eagles. This might be controversial. I'm going to go with Matt Corral. Because if you looked at the beginning of the season, I know Jalen Hurts is playing fine, but... If you looked at the draft, hiring Sirianni, and now, you see how uncommitted they really were to Jalen Hurts? I like Jalen Hurts a lot in regards to his leadership abilities, in regards to won't back down from anybody, and his resiliency, and how he's transitioned from barely a draftable quarterback at Alabama to being a second-round draft pick and Heisman finalist. That's great. Love that. But the Eagles tried to trade up to get Zach Wilson. And then after they didn't do that, they traded back. And when the Sirianni got there, he didn't say that they were starting Jalen Hurts, even though everybody and their mom knew that Jalen Hurts should start the season for the Eagles. You look at the quarterbacks they had, they shouldn't start anybody on that team. And then they announced, or are starting to figure out Jalen Hurts to be the starter, and then they trade for Gardner Minshew. Is that a team that's really committed to Jalen Hurts? I think he's playing fine right now. But are they committed to him? I don't really think so. And Matt Corral is one of the favorites to win the Heisman right now and is having a great season. Multi-dimensional quarterback can throw the crap out of the ball, can move very well, has the odd lapse in judgment, but that seems to be out of his system after last season. He's developed some leadership qualities, which has been very nice to see. Just from what I can tell, they're not committed in Philadelphia to Jalen Hurts. So I think that they'll go after a guy like Matt Corral. Next pick for the Eagles... I'm going to go Kyle Hamilton, safety. Just get some defensive help for the Eagles. I mean, they need something. They're not terrible on defense. They're just getting older. And they're not that bad at all. They're not terrible, bad, whatever you want to call it. They're just not amazing. I didn't get some help at the safety position. I mean, you got Anthony Harris this offseason, but I think he's been one of the more overrated safeties in the NFL for the past, like, three or four years. Or two or three years, sorry. Because I remember we talked about this on the show where they some websites rated him as the best safety in the NFL. After one season, I was like, he, you know he's not going to keep up those levels, right? He had like six or seven interceptions in that season, and everybody's like, oh, he's the number one safety in the NFL, which was ridiculous. You look at his previous seasons, and then now the seasons after, yeah, it wasn't consistent. It's just a fluke. It happens all the time. Kyle Hamilton 
is the best... Oh, crap. <laughs> I accidentally exited out of my page that had the draft on it. That's not ideal, but good thing we're pretty smart people over here on the Logan Blackman Show, so we were aware of who we drafted because that would have been an issue. If we could remember, that would have been a little issue, and we'd have to redo this all over again. But good thing I'm just rambling so I can get all these picks back in. So I don't need... <laughs> ah, whatever. Kyle Hamilton, second best defender in the draft behind Kayvon Thibodeau. Why I picked Derek Stingley over him for the Jets? I think the Jets need more corner help than safety help, just in my opinion. The Giants at number seven... I'm going to go with Kenyon Green, the offensive lineman from Texas A&M. The Giants need some offensive line help really bad. They traded away Kevin Zeitler this offseason. They traded him to the Ravens. They brought in Billy Price. Their tackles aren't great. So Kenyon Green is nice because of the fact he can play both guard and tackle. I think against Alabama he played guard, if I'm not mistaken. I, I just looked at the starting lineup that they had. I believe they had six alignment on the starting lineup. That was another thing. He rotates between guard and tackle, basically. That's all I'm saying. The Giants need both help at guard and in tackle. So getting a guy like Kenyon Green who can play both, do I rate him higher than Tyrell Linderbaum? No. I didn't rate him higher at the preseason. Don't rate him higher now. But I think the positional versatility is key in a lot of people's draft processes. So I think that he will go before Tyrell Linderbaum in the draft. Next pick, the Atlanta Falcons. I don't know why I was struggling with that so much. The Atlanta frickin' Falcons are the next team on this list. And they're an intriguing batch of characters down there in Atlanta. Very intriguing batch of characters. Their offense is insane and has been for a while now. But their defense still is not that great. <laughs> Hasn't been great for a little bit. So what the hell do they do on defense? Well, let me talk to you a little story here. We can do a few things on here. I think they'll go defense unless they get bad enough to where they can get a guy like Malik Willis, because I think that's a guy that would really fit what Arthur Smith wants to do. Atlanta kid, come back home, play for the Falcons, very run favor, run favorable head coach. Is that a word? Is that how you'd say that? <laughs> a run games efficient? I don't know. But you look at a guy like that, learn from under Matt Ryan for one more year because he's got one more year on his contract, or you wait a year, draft one next year, or you go later in the rounds, and get a quarterback then, because I think there'll be a lot of quarterbacks available in the second or third rounds that would be good targets. I think those would be good guys to look at for some of the guys that like the Falcons who need other things other than quarterback, because for right now, Matt Ryan's still got that job locked down. But you need help at, like, edge. If they play a 3-4 defense, get a 3-4 D end. You could get an outside linebacker. You could get a corner. You could get a safety. But for this pick, I'm going to go with... The athletic corner known as Andrew Booth Jr. from Clemson. We talked about him preseason. Out of ceilings, he might have had one of the higher ceilings in the draft because of how athletic he is. We just haven't seen him play. And that's basically a reason what we say here in the, the draft room. When you talk about people having high ceilings, it's more of the fact they haven't played that much. So this guy has the potential to be really, really good. Sometimes it doesn't pan out. Other times it does pan out. It looks out, works out very, very nicely. But for this situation, it's worked out pretty nice. Clemson's got a very good defense, and Andrew Boost, one of the better corners in college football. So that's what we're going to do for that one. Falcons need help there. A.J. Terrell's played really well this year, but they need a guy opposite of him. Get a guy like Andrew Booth to solidify the cornerback position for the Falcons, and then you've got two of the better young corners in the NFL. Next team on this list is the New England Patriots, and I think this one's fairly easy because of the fact they just traded Stephon Gilmore. I like J.C. Jackson a lot. But you're going to need some more corners in there to replace a guy like Stephon Gilmore. You just traded the Carolina Panthers. So we're going to give you guys 
Kyrie Elam, a guy we liked a lot. When we first started the draft process, we had him going to the Cardinals, I believe, at 12. I believe that's what it was when he, we first did the mock draft. But with the Patriots needing some more help, they're a very weird team. They look good, but there's still some pieces that aren't there. And you let Davis Mills pass all over you this weekend. Like, all over you. A game, a, t- a team that the Bills just beat by 40 points passed the ball around you guys. 312 yards for Davis Mills, three touchdowns, no picks. I guess the Patriots. In a game against the Bills, he threw four interceptions, no touchdowns, less than 80, <laughs> less than 90 yards passing. And he threw more t- less touchdowns than he threw more interceptions than touchdowns against the Bills than he did against the Patriots. They need help at corner. J.C. Jackson's really good, but you need a guy opposite of him. Jalen Mills, all right. Get Kyrie Elam and be fine. And then the last pick, the Philadelphia Eagles. I think we look at the defensive side of things yet again, and I think. This is a toss-up. I think DeMarvin Leal from AM and Aiden Hutchinson. I'm going to go with Hutchinson. Get an AM guy in there. Replace, or an AM guy, a Michigan guy in there. Replace another Michigan guy. And Brandon Graham was getting on, getting on a little old. Getting on a little old. So we're going to have to replace him eventually. The Eagles have always done this thing where they draft players that are not ready to go in, but they'll learn behind a guy that's very experienced. Look at what they did this year with Landon Dickerson. I know he's starting. But you had the idea of playing him behind Jason Kelsey. Then you had Andre Dillard, who hasn't really panned out that well. But you had him drafted with the idea that he's going to learn from Jason Peters. And then now, you can do that with Brandon Graham. You can have a guy named Hutchinson learn from Brandon Graham, or who's on IR. But you can have him learn from him, get a guy to come in, start right away. Like, the Eagles just improved their team with three picks. Those are some of the best players in the draft. Matt Corral, Kyle Hamilton, Aiden Hutchinson. I, do I think the Eagles should draft Corral? I don't know, because I like Jalen Hurts. Again, I like Jalen Hurts. The problem is, I don't know how committed they are to him. I'm thinking of this from an Eagles standpoint, not necessarily what I would do. But from a Philadelphia Eagles standpoint, it'd be hard to go, oh yeah, I think they're 100% committed to Jalen Hurts. I don't, which is why I'm doing Matt Corral going to the Eagles at five. So here's my top 10 again. Jaguars, we have Evan Neal. Uh, Lions, we have Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon. Number three, the Texans, Malik Willis. Four, the Jets taking Derek Stingley. Five, the Eagles taking Matt Corral. Six, the Eagles taking Kyle Hamilton. Seven, Kenyon Green going to the Giants. So we have Andrew Booth going to the Falcons at eight. Kyra Elam going to the Patriots at nine. And Aiden Hutchinson, the edge rusher from Michigan. Very athletic edge rusher. Remember we talked about him when we did our first draft where Bruce Feldman called him the second athletic, most athletic freak in the draft behind the guy who I think at this point in time will go number one, Evan Neal, who's six foot six, three hundred forty pounds, played both guard and tackle at Alabama. That dude's a freaking insane athlete. And same thing with Aiden Hutchinson, insane athlete. So that's what I've got for you for the draft process for that. And I believe that's all I've got for you today as a show in general. I think today went very well. I like today's show. I know we had that weird breakup with the phone thing, but that's fine. Things happen like that all the time. Hopefully it doesn't happen again. But that's all I've got for you. Hope you enjoyed it. You'll see our bets on Twitter and Instagram. Hopefully you do better this week than last week, which we did pretty well in comparison to the previous weeks, but not in, not insane. We're going to get some insane scores this weekend. Hopefully some NFL action's good this weekend. Hopefully CBS comes to their senses and plays the Chargers and Ravens game on Channel 8 this weekend, so I don't need to watch the freaking Chiefs and Washington football team. Don't care about that game at all. Would you rather watch two of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL with both 4-1 and one records leading their division, or... Would you rather watch the two and three Washington football team go on the two and three Chiefs with the worst defense in the NFL? Hmm, I don't know which one I'd rather watch. 
Thanks, Midwest, for giving us the gosh darn Chiefs. God. It's a pain in the ass, ain't it? Pain in the freaking ass. By the Bills on Monday Night Football, that should be fun. Hopefully no rain delays happen down in Tennessee, but we're, I'm excited for this weekend. It's going to be a fun weekend of college football. going to be a fun weekend of NFL football. And Monday Night Football will be fantastic as well. Congratulations to the United States. Getting a big win over Costa Rica. Getting second in the World Cup qualifying group. That'll be big. Mexico matchup's going to be freaking massive. Congratulations to everything else that happened this weekend. Great stuff. Great, 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 great stuff. Go follow me on all forms of social media. We already talked about them earlier, but if you didn't remember them, Logan underscore Blackman's the Twitter account. The Logan Blackman Show one's the Instagram account. Also, Blackman Logan's my personal account. Go and like the Facebook page to search Logan Blackman Show. It should pop up. Go and subscribe to the YouTube page. Same thing, Logan Blackman Show. And go and follow the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts. Subscribe, follow, whatever you need to do on all these forms of social media. Do it. I'd greatly appreciate it. With that being said, I'm Logan Blackman, and I will see you all later. Have a great weekend, and peace.